Friday, it's time to roll for intent with the creator's corner. Hey, that one wasn't that bad. Not, it wasn't. This is the first time I haven't <laughs> absolutely whiffed it. I was going to say, you've been practicing, haven't you? <laughs> I was. I stared in the mirror for like 45 minutes today saying it just so I wouldn't screw it up this time. Well, well done. It shows. Thanks. <laughs> Oh man, it's been a it's been a week. I am so glad to do something that's a lot less intense than how my week has gone. So I'm really looking forward to uh, really looking forward to untying our hostage and uh, starting to chat with him. Oh, he can sit in the corner for a minute. I just really, you know, for our listeners, it's been a week since we've recorded something, and it feels like a month because we were doing like every other day, two, three interviews yeah, a day. I finally got some <laughs> control over our schedule rather than like, hey, everyone, come on in. And then I'm like, oh, no, not now. Stop. Please stop. <laughs> so now we kind of trickle them in a couple every week, and um, I'm a lot less stressed, and uh, my hair started going back to the normal color. All right. Well, who do we have with us today? I'll go yank off the duct tape. All right. Well, tonight we've got uh, Matt Cavanaugh. He's the author of the Botanical Bestiary. He's a contributor to Battle Zoo Bestiary, and he's a mod for the Pathfinder 2nd Edition Creation subreddit, and he seems like a pretty great guy besides. How you doing tonight, Matt? I'm doing well. How are you two? We are just peachy. Peachy's, peachy's a great way to describe it. <laughs> Botanical themed and all, right? Always got to have the plants. So, um, so, yeah, I was we had this uh, scheduled and we had to reschedule it. And I've been looking through this. And first thing, you know, Trevor and I both were like, the art in this is phenomenal. This is you know, definitely a different style than you do most Pathfinder products. But this art is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. How, how did you guys uh, you know, arrive at this kind of theme and whatnot? Yeah, the the art is almost always everyone's favorite part of it. Um, you know, they say the writing's fine, but really the the artist is uh, the one who gets all the credit for the book. So um, our artist, Sita Duncan, um, is an amazing artist. Uh, I found her on Reddit because she had posted a picture one day that she had drawn of her home character for her home campaign that was a Leshy. And I was like, that's amazing. That's what a Leshy should look like. I'm going to ask her if she wants to work on a book together. And she agreed. And here we are a year later. <laughs> it's literally that simple. Tale as old as time. Exactly. Hey, I like your art. <laughs> <laughs> I spent like yeah. a half hour shading the upper lip. It's really, really intense. How many leshies are in this book? I didn't actually count them. There's a, 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 over 70 pages, but. There are 66 leshies in total. Um, we had uh, originally planned for 50, and then we unlocked an additional 10 through a stretch goal. Five more that were going to be the epic tier, so they're all like level 18 plus leshies. Uh, and then we added one more, the three leshies in a trench coat, just to make it an even number and fill out the pages correctly. I um, love and then the leshies in the trench coat. <laughs> It started as a joke, as most of this project did, and it turned out to be a really popular part. I've got a box of uh, three Leshy in a trench coat bookmarks sitting next to me right now, ready to get shipped out to backers. So uh, it's one of my favorite uh, favorite ones in there as well. One of my favorite jokes in a home campaign that I did is that I made the mayor of Sandpoint three goblins in a trench coat when I was playing Rise of the Rune Lords. Excellent that was choice. always a fun one. 
look like the avocado leshies too. They're adorable. I want to give them a I, hug. The worst question I get asked uh, constantly is what leshy is your favorite? Because every single one that I look at, I'm like, yeah, that was my favorite. And I just flip to the next page. Like, nah, this one's pretty great too. It's just so hard because they're all adorable. They're all so cool looking and so well done. And again, not my writing, just see this art. It's just great. Well, and that actually leads me into my my largest complaint about this book. What am I going to do with this? I don't want people to kill these adorable little things. <laughs> <laughs> I would never put them in front of my murder hobos. You know, I bet a lot of uh, there, there's comments on almost every page of how do you can use these in a non-combat related scenario. Just because they have a sap block doesn't mean you have to fight them. Um in my home campaign, you know, my players have definitely fought Leshies, but it very quickly turned into they would adopt one, they'd rescue one. Uh, there's a few Leshy settlements where it's just an entire town of all Leshies that have outlived their druids or have escaped out of the city and just returned to, to nature and built a little settlement to hang out in. You don't have to fight them, but the they are fun to fight too. Leshies. <laughs> exactly. My favorite, I love the color out of space, Leshy, but that's just because I love the Eldritch Horror occult-themed stuff in general, and I think it's so fun. And the fact that these two pages for that sort of Leshy have a completely theme, different theme from the rest of them, they're like spooky, dark purples and grays, and oh man, I love it. I love it from a thematic perspective within the book, as well as the thematic perspective of the the creature itself, the leshy itself, and the abilities that it has. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that, that one is, again, a kind of a happy accident where one of our one of the tiers we had offered for the backers was to design their own leshy. Um, and so someone asked if they could do a Color Out of Space leshy. And I had never read Color Out of Space. I had no idea what they were talking about, so I had to look it up first. Um, and then thought, yeah, that, that's a cool concept. I can make that work. We'll have a Leshy that was infected by this Eldritch Horror. And then um, really for no reason, we decided to make it kind of bigger. It seemed like it was just a popular concept. And so we, we went with two, two options. And then Cedo uh, just filled out a whole page with it. And we realized we could make it into this nice spread and change some of the other colors around. And again, a lot of that worked out accidentally. And then it became... <laughs> my favorite spread in the book as well, just because it's it's a nice break from all this like whimsical fun art. And then it's just this kind of dark, but still keeping in that whimsical theme. But suddenly the color shift and everything's different. It fits really well with that alien feel, I think. Um and yeah, it's it's a good one. Yeah, I definitely loved the uh the dragon fruit leshy and the redwood leshy. I thought those two were those ones I really, really enjoyed. <laughs> the weird thing the weird thing I remember reading the Redwood Leshy, and it's like a gargantuan creature, right? Mm-hmm. And it so turns into huge. a large tree. There's one of them that's like gargantuan, and it turns large when it turns into its tree form. I thought that was weird and kind of kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I guess it makes sense, right? Because, you know, it's not just like gargantuan and large has to do with the total area that they take up. And part of the reason they're so big is because, you know, they're moving. They have a spread. So it makes sense, you know, the more that I thought about it that, yeah, it would probably take up less space. So, I mean, I think it's a well-thought-out thought out difference. It's just something that caught my eye initially, and then when I started to reflect on it, yeah, that, makes, that actually makes total sense. Yeah, there, there's a few choices like that throughout the book that aren't... Um, they're not designed to, like, trip up the reader in any way, but 
you know, this is an entire book where every single creature is essentially a variant of one creature. And so I wanted them to still have something to make them unique, but still be able to tie into that um, that theme of they're all leshies. So they all still have certain abilities like change shape and verdant burst and stuff. They all have certain traits that are similar to what a leshy should be, but I still want them to be kind of unique. So yeah, there's one that instead of getting bigger, he gets a little bit smaller and there's other ones that instead of exploding and doing, uh, healing all the plants around them, they explode and they leave a cloud of pepper dust in the air and it stings your eyes. And, you know, so each, all the abilities still have to be right. You can't just assume, oh, this is that same creature, but it's bigger now. Okay. The end, they're all still unique in their own way like that. And I particularly like too, that you have a, a section at the back with your Leshy heritage so that people playing Leshy can adopt into some of these cool Leshies that you guys have included into this, this bestiary. Yeah. And that, that was again, I'm going to say this a million times throughout this, a happy accident um, to have um, Linda Zayas Palmer write those 10 heritages. I absolutely loved how they came out. I think they were a great inclusion into the book. Um, and that was a stretch goal that got unlocked right away uh, <laughs> as soon as we announced it. And it was one that I just, I'm a, you know, hang out in the Arcane Mark uh, Discord channel sometimes with Mark Seifter and, and Linda. And um, Mark just kind of, mentioned one day like you know you could probably see if linda wanted to do some writing for this she would probably be interested she's very into leshies and i was like oh it's a great idea i don't paizo hasn't hired me for anything why don't i just hire some of them and <laughs> that seemed to work out so the lore that you put at the top for the leshy how much of that was you filling in gaps and how much of it is a retelling of the paizo version of the leshy because i really liked the extra stuff that you added about um Leshy's uh, origin from a mythical perspective. Like, this is definitely not like a Paizo sanitized version of this. This is, oh, this fits within the rule system, but it's not necessarily of the world, which is nice. I actually really like that because it allows you to use the, the system and, and the creatures without tying yourself intrinsically to Galarian or anything like that. So what kind of, what kind of research went into that and what part of it is like folklore versus Matt's idea of what Aleshi is versus established canon? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, you know, when I started this project, it was before Pathfinder Infinite existed. So I couldn't use any Galarian lore. I had to make it at least a little bit different um, to not be infringing on, on Paizo. Um, and, you know, designing around a creature, that still would have been fine, but I wanted to at least acknowledge that these weren't a wholesale Paizo creation. The Leshy is a term that exists. It comes from a culture that exists and still exists. And um, the Paizo version of Aleshi is very different than the folklore version. Um, there are some overlap in shape changing and nature themed, but that's kind of where <laughs> the relation ends. Um, and so I, I just kind of wanted to acknowledge that there were these other versions of it out there. I mean, I think uh, myself and, and a lot of people who were only familiar with Leshy from the Paizo verse watching uh the leshy appearance in the witcher season two it was very shocking to see a different interpretation of the leshy uh <laughs> because it is a a far more uh violent and scary creature than um than is presented here so the idea of when i did all that was really just that 
acknowledging that this other ver- these other versions existed and that other versions can exist because the way to include these creatures into your home game if you follow exactly with the paizo rules and and lore you every single creature that exists uh every leshy that exists needs to have somebody that created it some druid had to craft it for some reason and that immediately starts to limit your options you know why is there going to be a level 22 leshy what you know, God came down to create that creature. Um, so immediately you need to have a little bit more flexibility into what the origin of these creatures can be and what the lore might look like for something like that. Um, and also, yeah, I think it just makes more sense to let some of these creatures be free roaming their nature spirits. They should have some enjoyment just out in the wild and not have to be tied down to somebody that created or crafted them the way that the, the Paizo lore works for them. So just kind of wanted to play around with that concept a bit. Yeah, I really love the idea of them being, you know, mostly unaffiliated primal spirits that are like, oh, I like this plant. This is what I want to be now. And that really opens up a massive amount of design space, both for for you and anybody else that wants to kind of bootstrap off of that content or a home game creator that's like, well, I want a Magnolia Leshy because (laughs) I like Magnolias. Well, I mean, in that case, they should definitely just go to the Magnolia Leshy uh, in the book, but they can make their own if they want to. (laughs) I knew I was going to make that mistake at some point because there's so many in here. I can't keep them all in my head. Well, but to that point, that really is the the nice thing about this. And I mentioned a little bit in the book is that it is essentially a limitless canvas. I mean, any plant that exists, even even some non-plant things. I mean, I've got lichen in there and and different mushrooms and fungus. you can make up your own plant, and I've done this. Invent a fantastical plant, and then make a leshy for the fantasy plant. I mean, you can have leshies for anything that exists in nature, essentially. And so, um, I I liked the idea of you know why should these powerful nature spirits be reliant upon a druid to create them? They should be able to do whatever they want to. And um, and yeah, there's there's so many options to choose from. I mean, there's I've got another fifty leshies that didn't make it into the book. I mean, you you can make you can make these forever. <laughs> I think I, I do wish that they would have, you would have done some as animal companions. That would have been awesome for like druids and rangers. That would have been really, really cool. Yeah. That, uh, the, the next project may have something that will satisfy your desire there. Um, I was just not Excellent. great with that rule set at the time. Um, but that's what, uh, hiring other people is for. So, so that dovetails into my next question. <laughs> I know you have something coming. Mm-hmm. But what do you have coming? I'm super excited about hearing anything else that builds onto this lore that you've created and, you know, into this whole feel of the Leshies that you've put in this book. Anything else uh, is going to be fantastic, I'm sure. So, so what's brewing in the mind of, of Matt Cavanaugh again? So we are getting ready to launch our next Kickstarter. We're hoping to launch uh, at the time of this filming in a couple of weeks. Um, but essentially what I wanted to do was expand, you know, there's still going to be leshies in it. I know people would be concerned if there weren't, um, but just expand into other plant themed things that I think should be more prevalent in tabletop RPGs, um, specifically Pathfinder and 5e, but you know, really you can use, you can adapt into any system. Um, but I feel like when I play a game right now, if you want something nature themed your option is to make a druid and have that druid go out and do some plant things and maybe they use entangle and you get some vines over you 
And then that's it. Other than that, they're still using just regular old spells like anybody else. So I wanted to make some plant-themed spells, some plant-themed items, some plant-themed weapons, plant-themed potions, get some herbalism going. I mean, I wanted basically to cover all of the bases of things that people could use in their game, including new classes, new ancestries, versatile heritages. I mean, literally anything that might be something a player would want or a, or a GM would want to just put some nature back into their game. Because most games take place, at least my home games, maybe I'm the exception there, they take place in nature, you know, where you're in a city for a little bit, then in a dungeon, and then you're exploring out in the wilderness. And so having a way to describe it other than you walk through a forest, you walk through a swamp, the end, you know, here's something that might occupy that space. Here's a, a player option that might resonate more with one of those environments. And then what does that mean for your game? And that was sort of what we were trying to do. I really like the, you know, that it's such great concepts. And I love when people, you know, step outside two of the Paizoverse and, you know, even in your own formatting, you know, you did not follow the Paizo formatting for monsters. And while I love Paizo, I will actually say I cannot stand looking at the formatting in the monster manual. I've been looking at it ever since it came out. And every time I look at a page, I struggle to find exactly what I'm looking for. I, it, my eye is not drawn to it for some reason, and I, I just don't know why. And not that yours, what you've done is very different, but it is different. And I really enjoy when people kind of take ownership and want to kind of create their own style instead of mimicking every single thing that Paizo does. So I, I think you did a really great job with that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, uh, I felt exactly the same. I mean, I, I love the best series. I have all of them and I enjoy reading them. They're kind of my favorite type of book to to read and play with. Um, but I, I had a very challenging time. My eyes seem to skip over like the trait tags for some reason. And the where the HP and the AC are relative to each other never seemed to make sense to me when I read one of the Paizo ones. So I wanted to just make things a little bit more streamlined that worked for me and Hopefully it worked for other people. And if it didn't, oh, well. <laughs> yeah, you did a couple interesting things uh, with the way that you structure these stat blocks that make them a lot more uh, user-friendly, for lack of a better term. Uh, your font weight is different. You go to a all-caps font as well. Uh, you separate these into useful sections. The ability scores are under a unique header, uh, and they're colonized. Uh, in a pleasing way. I, I agree with Christian. I can't, I can't stand the Paizo stat block. I cannot look at it and immediately pick out the data that I want. I can't grok it quick enough. I end up, every time that I'm going to be running a monster from a stat block, uh, I end up writing all of its stats out on a piece of paper in a different way that makes sense to me, right? So anytime that somebody is taking that and rejiggering it in a way that they find more pleasing rather than just taking the cue, I am a fan of. Yeah, I can't promise that it solves uh, everybody's everybody's complaints about the Paizo blocks, and I've definitely had complaints about these blocks as well. But at least for me, it's it's a little bit better than than where we were before. And I'll probably stick with that same format going forward for consistency, but there might be some room to to tweak and move things around as well. So, I really also love some of the attention to detail, like with the redwood leshy, how it actually is fire resistant because redwoods are very fire resistant, which you you want to get into. I think it's kind of funny that, oh, they take, you know, arboreals, trents, they take extra damage from axes and fire. And I'm like, why do they take extra damage? Because if I hit a person or a tree with the axe, the person gets hurt way more. It's not like the tree's <laughs> taking more damage. 
Yeah, no, I completely agreed. I mean, a lot of that stuff, it's fun flavor wise, but when you think about it a little bit too much, it starts kind of getting a little wonky. Um, and I try to in, place that in some spots throughout some of these leshies. Sometimes they need a, a weakness or a strength to, or resistance to, to kind of balance out. And in that case, try to make it a little thematic. Pretty much any choice for any creature in the bestiary, um, there's a reason for it. I mean, if their health being a certain level, the ratio of attack to defense being a certain level, all of it is based around the, the plant that it is coming from. Um, and so I tried to include at least some nod to something about the plant or how that plant exists in culture or history in order to uh, kind of flush out the stack bot in a more meaningful way than just doing the math, because anybody can do the math. That's no fun. Well, and it's turned out true with so many of our interviews that you clearly love what you were doing here. And it has shown through in, in the attention to detail, the stat blocks, the the lore that you have included, the sidebars, all of it. It is it is really a fantastic book. And I certainly do encourage our listeners to pick it up. It would be awesome for just including so many of these great things in any kind of wilderness setting the just to help expand your game and make these areas not this endless wilderness where they never encounter everything like you said you don't have to kill every monster to just be traveling along and see something a couple of these leshies you watching adventures as they walk past is it just helps expand the world and just makes for a much more rich and immersive experience for everyone Versimilitude is the name of the game. Make the world feel real and not just a cardboard cutout that your heroes are killing things in. If you were to give some advice to a individual that's on the fence about creating content or just doesn't really know where to start or feels overwhelmed by the process, what would it be that you tell them? Uh, the first one is is definitely just to do it. It is much simpler than you think it's going to be, especially if you're working in the um, Pathfinder 2e rule set. Paizo was generous enough to really detail out how to do the, the math and the balancing for creature design. Um, and that is invaluable because, again, the math is, to me, the most boring part of it. I know some people really love the math, especially in this uh, gaming space, but... Um, I'm really happy they did the math for me and I get to play around with the lore and the creatures. That's much more in interesting to me. Um, but really, if you just try it, it'll probably work out fine. Follow the rules. You'll stay within those bounds to start with. And then as you get more comfortable with it, you can kind of play around with breaking the rules here or there to make it uh, a little bit more unique and special to you. Um, the best way to to just start it, in my opinion, is to get involved with the Pathfinder subreddits. Um, Pathfinder 2E subreddit and the 2E creation subreddit um, are both great places to share homebrew, especially the 2E creation subreddit is sort of designed for this early work in progress sort of stage of, I have this concept and, you know, I'm uh, it's not quite fleshed out yet. There's some parts I need to figure out. What do you guys think of this balance? And you'll get great feedback. It's almost always... Uh, you know, a positive and supportive environment. And if it's not, just message me on there. I'm a mod and I'll kick the mean person. Um, but really the subreddits um, for Pathfinder 2E have been incredibly supportive. It's really the only reason this project got off the ground to begin with is because those subreddits were so supportive of what I was doing and seemed excited by the project and kind of encouraged it to go further. 
Um, and likewise, this project only started because I just did it one day. I had never designed something before. I don't have 20 years experience playing these games or designing things. I was just stuck at home during quarantine and wanted something to do to be creative. And I was decided to homebrew and I made a Leshy and I posted it on Reddit and I got some feedback and I made another Leshy and it just kept going from there. And it can be that easy to get started. That has been a story that we've heard over and over again. Well, I was stuck at home during the pandemic and I figured, <laughs> why not? Yep. The second piece of advice, the, the first piece of advice you gave, just do it, is the one that has been consistent. Pretty much everybody has said, number one piece of advice, just do it. Because when you do it, you're over that hurdle. Uh, you'll find your mistakes and you'll fix your mistakes. And you don't know what your mistakes are until you do it. And you don't know how easy it is until you do it. So just do it. I love that advice. It's so great for so many things. Yeah, completely agree. And, you know, there is a, uh, when I was first starting up, there was some site, I can't remember it now, and so I feel bad not being able to credit them, but it was something to help with, like, auto-formatting of um, stat blocks or just trying to um, format even just text pages to match more into, like, the Paizo style. And the site title said something to the effect of just, Pathfinder needs your homebrew. And that they try to follow up on that of just having homebrew in a system, in my opinion, is what makes a system thrive. I mean, I like all of Paizo's content. I like a lot of Wizards of the Coast content. I play with that content, but I prefer homebrewing um, for my home games. And I think that for a lot of people, having those homebrew options and being able to design and create within the space is how GMs get to express their creativity um, in the same way players do when they make their, their characters. And so creating some homebrew and kind of putting a piece of yourself into the world helps everybody connect with it more. It helps you get your artistic expression out there. Um, and it helps make the entire community a little bit more vibrant than it would be otherwise. Well, it just helps expand and improve the hobby. I mean, all, all of the, you know, the advances in Dungeons and Dragons that have then turned into, you know, advanced Dungeons and Dragons and third edition and fourth and fifth and Pathfinder 1E and 2E. I mean, that's all because of the input from other people. And, you know, people are doing stuff that every other people take notice of and go, wow, that actually that's really cool. And, you know, we can see it now here with one D&D and such. It's, you know, when people have good ideas, it, it just spreads throughout the industry. So. It's it's definitely always encouraging when you have companies that are, you know, being as helpful as they can to encourage their fans to get involved and to create something. And that's one thing I so love about Paizo is from you know, the play tests that they do with all the classes to the the inclusion with Pathfinder Infinite. And they're just so helpful in getting the community and encouraging them to like, you know what, you you can do this too. anyone can. Yeah, absolutely. Paizo's explicit legitimization and implicit uh, approval of third-party content through the usage of Infinite, I think, has been a resounding success, not for just Paizo and for the Pathfinder 2E community, but I think as a whole, whenever you have publishers that are encouraging uh, and giving the tools, not just encouraging, but putting their money where the, their mouth is and giving the tools for homebrewers to effectively build things within the system that feel like they belong there and not just tacked on. I think that is fantastic for creators, for players, and just for the industry as a whole. And it's something that I wish more publishers really put a, you know, put a lamppost on or put a light on 
that our system is built to expand and and uh, improve upon, and we're going to give you the tools to do it. And we're not going to fight against you doing it, and we're not going to make uh, our design decisions esoteric and weird and strange. We're going to publish exactly how you do all these things. I think that's fantastic, and it's something I really wish that they would have done in 1E, because I remember GMing 1E and having my players be like, oh, can I use this? I'm like, ah, it's by a third-party company, and I've had issues with them in the past, and I don't know if they actually play test things. And, you know, it it's a lot less of a problem now with 2E, because even if people aren't directly playtesting, if they're following the rules within the system, it's a lot less likely to be broken or unfun or anything like that. And that's something I've I've really... Honestly, I've learned doing this whole reviewing of third-party products that we started doing with the show is that, you know, third-party is not a dirty word anymore, at least not in 2E. And it's great. I love yeah, it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, I, I definitely still... there. There's some holdovers that still have that mentality of like, well, it's third-party, it might not be balanced right. And you definitely, as a third-party developer, you kind of have the sense of like, all right, I have to be extra bulletproof. Like, even things that Pies would get away with, I can't really go too far off people are just gonna be like oh it's that crazy third party thing let's forget it um but for the most part you know when you see people talking about is a third party content good especially stuff that's on pathfinder infinite at this point the question usually isn't is it balanced right is it going to break my game it's just all right is it fun to use is it completely broken if not all right then it's probably close enough and it's fine um and i think that that being an option and that being a little bit easier to work with is leading to some really good development stuff i mean even we recently judged a uh, a homebrew competition for the pathfinder 2e subreddit and the vast majority of things that came out of that from people who are not published design developers people who aren't trying to design or sell anything they're just doing it for fun you know you don't have very many issues with the balance maybe there's mechanic issues or thematic issues but anybody can pick it up and be pretty close to perfect balance right from the start. And that gives you a lot of flexibility to then build off of that strong foundation. Right. And and for our listeners, that's actually how I met up with Matt is I was a judge in that same competition uh, for the, the uh, brewmaster competition. And I remember going through, we had 40 some odd entries, which hit all at the end of the deadline, which that was fun. <laughs> Uh, but I can count on one hand the number of things that I just said, no, that's that's not even in the running because it's just OP. I can't do that. That's, you know, it was a rarity. And most of the things were definitely down to thematic choices or slight mechanical quibbles. Nothing like, wow, that's just going to grease the floor with a party. It's just not going to matter what they do. It's just broken. And that's because the monster creation rules are so good, which goes back to the tool sets that Paizo gives us are fantastic for this. And it makes it so much easier to make it all make yeah. sense. And I can honestly say too, the, the other part, I'll just give another shout out to Paizo is I understand why, but I can never imagine Wizards of the Coast, you know, retweeting one of my posts advertising my product. But Paizo did. I mean, they, they very explicitly will support and they they support the content creators. They support um, you know you guys who are doing these sort of interviews and, and sort of the you're not making a new product, but the content that is associated with the Paizo universe and Pathfinder community. You know the fact that they have somebody who's dedicated to actually helping to push that out there. I mean, Wizards barely helps. You know, gives credit to Critical Role for what they've done for them. Let alone any of the uh, the smaller little 
actual play channels that are out there. And and Paizo puts in the effort to support everybody, no matter the size of their channel. And I think that's uh, really commendable from them. So yeah, Paizo's been been retweeting us on the regular since we started our actual play show when we had almost no listeners. Since our only listener was honestly Christian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they have been retweeting us since the very beginning as absolute nobodies uh, getting exposed to, you know, their hundred, several hundred thousand Twitter followers. Right. So, yeah, they are 100 percent on top of promoting creators in their space inclusively and without reservation. It's been pretty awesome. And I just, you know, it, it goes back to their roots. You know, they originally they were publishing Dungeon and Dragon magazine for Wizards and you know, eventually that got pulled internally for Wizards and Paizo just kind of, OK, we're we're going to do this on our own with the open gaming license when D&D went to 4E and they, we're going to pick up where this left off because there's a huge fan base that still wants this and we're going to run with it. And to me, it's that difference between a a corporate entity that has turned a a hobby into a business versus a group of people that are like we love this and we want to keep it going and we know we need to make money to keep the lights on, but at our heart, we still love this and we are just trying to make as cool a thing as we possibly can. Hey, hey, let's give credit to wizards in, in the effort of cutting off their own nose to spite their face by blocking off third-party content creation for Fori. That's why we have second edition now. I mean, let's be real. <laughs> yeah. I just I really hope that Wizards will at some point uh you know open up D&D Beyond to hosting uh third party content because I think that'll be where you start seeing third party content really taking off for 5e or D&D 1 or whatever 1D&D whatever it is at that point. Um but once you can make and share third party content on on D&D Beyond without losing a massive cut of what you're trying to produce, I think that's where you'll or even if you can do it for free, I think that's an issue right now is that you can't share free content outside of like your immediate party. Um, but once you can do something like that, that would really help expand that side that uh, of of this third party content for that other game system. But we'll, well see if they. It get looks there. like we're reaching the end of our time with you, Matt. Sadly, I've had a great that's time sad. talking to you. I've had a great time talking to you in the twenty minutes that we wasted before we started the recording. So <laughs> it has been an absolute blast. Yes. I am very much looking forward to see what you are going to be coming out with in the future. The this book again, I just want to stress this to our listeners. This is such a fun read and it's highly entertaining. So I think if you're into this type of stuff that you're just going to adore this book, it's so cool and it will help give any character player that ha loves Leshies. I mean, this is just a must have. It really is. Even if you just like plants, so fun. It's a, it's a good read regardless. It's, it's well-crafted. It's, it's fun. It's whimsical. Uh, it's a great book. And for the price, you really can't go wrong. What is that price? That price is $14.95 for the PDF and $39.95 for the hardcover book, both on DriveThruRPG. Uh, this is 77 pages of just absolute great stuff. That, that price tag, you are getting a ton with that price tag. This isn't the, you know, the, the $3 or $4, here's five or six pages for a class expansion or something. There is a lot of stuff here, and it is definitely worth that price. 
Absolutely. You'll be able to find a link to it in the show notes. Um, and once again, that will be an affiliate link. Anything that you buy helps fuel the fire of reviews so we can keep buying more third-party content from writers on Infinite and on Drive-Thru RPG, which is where you'll be able to find this one. Well, I think that about wraps up our time today. I'm Christian. And I'm Trevor. And as always, you all have a great week. Bye, y'all.